Restaurants Unstoppable, episode 202. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Are you tired of all the busy work, invoicing, scheduling, inventories, things that suck up your time in your restaurant? Well, let me tell you about today's sponsor. They can help you with all these things, QSR Online. Head over to go.qsronline.com to learn more. Again, that's go.qsronline.com. So, with excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Chef Richard Allaire. Chef, please tell me you're feeling unstoppable today. Indeed, I am. It depends on the day, but today I'm feeling pretty good. Oh, so. good. I caught you on and a good day. That's what, yes. <laughs> so, a Rhode Island native and graduate of the School of Hard Knocks, Chef Allaire was previously the executive chef at El Epicurio, Tucker's Bistro, and has done some culinary consulting on the side. Today, Chef Allaire is the co-owner and founder of the Providence Coal Fired Pizza and just recently opened his second restaurant, Medicom Kitchen, which is his first independent concept restaurant located in Warren, Rhode Island. Chef Allaire also finds time to give back to the community, mentoring many young cooks who have gone on to cook at some of the most notable establishments in the United States. He was active in the March of Dimes Signature Chef event, has participated in numerous times in the Taste of Newport, and has cooked at several events at the prestigious James Beard House to benefit the scholarship fund. Chef, this is just a huge aerial view of who you are and what you're all about. I can't wait to capture your story. But before we do that, why don't we get that inspirational, motivational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. Hit us with it. Well, I would have to say that the most important thing for me every day and something that I talk to my staff about is to be patient. And I don't think there's anything more when you cook or when you aspire to start a business and it requires patience and um, when you show patience and, and ultimately I think you'll, you'll persevere and ultimately when you keep trying, you'll succeed. Mm. So I, I think that's the most important thing. I love it, man. I mean, so many people expect just whatever they're starting just to take off from the get go. But the truth is it doesn't happen overnight. It happens to those that show up every day and, and put that hard work in. And that's why I think I'm hearing from you. Do you want to elaborate on that anymore? Yeah, I mean, when I started cooking, I'm like like most people. You start at a lower at the lower rung in a kitchen, and um, so I started, uh, you know, making salads and working a fry station. And eventually, when I decided that I felt like this was a, a a career that I could succeed in or something that interested me further, I I decided to work in more fine dining restaurants. And in those places. In the in the more the brigade style French style kitchens, you start you, they put you on a station and you stay on that station for a year or two years, and so over my career I would spend a year butchering fish or a year making cooking vegetables or a two years making sauces, and I think that that structure is something that you don't really see that much anymore, and I think it's it was a huge value to me. So when it was come when it would come time. 
when you promote it and you become a sous chef, you really have a lot to draw on. And that is, those experiences are certainly uh, things that I draw on every day. So what advice, chef, what advice do you have for that person right now who is stuck at that station, who has that, that fire in their belly, who, I mean, aside from patience, which seems to be the mantra we're going on, like what other mindset did you have that you think helped you get to where you are today? Uh, well, I mean, I always feel like there's always room for improvement for me. Mm. And I think it's important for the staff to see that. And whenever I make a mistake or fall short of what I feel, what I'm trying to do, I always admit to myself and to my staff that I, that I need to do better. And I need, and I expect my staff to admit when they make a mistake so they can learn from it. And I certainly need to hold myself accountable first and foremost. And when I make a mistake, I want everyone to hear me say that I made a mistake, so they will do the same. That's awesome, man. That's I love it. We're not a bunch of people walking around making excuses. When I hear you say this, I can't help but think of Tom's Keller's words of just show up every day and try to do that one task just a little bit better. And if you're stuck filleting fish at a station, you should have that mentality that you're going to be the best darn fish flayer by the time you're done and just to do it better every time. And um, there's a lot of value to that. Oh, absolutely, man. I love it. So... Um, now that we kind of got your inspirational uh, quarter mantra, I'm feeling pumped up. Let's kind of get some quick snapshots, Chef, of how you got to where you are today. Because you're the school of hard knocks, man. You, you got to where you are from, you know, just getting that experience, getting the jobs in kitchens and learning hands-on. So give us some just quick snapshots of your path to being your own restaurateur. Well, I think... I had cooked for several years, and but I think a really turning point for me was when I got a job up in Boston at, uh, at a restaurant called Radius, which is now closed. Okay. And when I, when I went there, I had never seen a restaurant where there were, first of all, so many cooks, and it was really broken down into that brigade style where there were vegetable cooks and fish cooks and sous chefs and executive chef and pastry department. And, um, and what that day when I did the stage, I knew this was the place for me because A, it was going to be a huge challenge and it was going to be tremendously difficult, but B, there was a lot of room for me to really focus on certain tasks. And my initial, my initial goal was to go there for one year. I ended up working for that chef for three years. Oh, wow. Commuting from Providence to Boston every day. Do you mind if we put a timeline on this, chef? Like, how old were you? Uh, what year was it when you first started? Um, when I first started cooking, I was 24, so I would say that's late. That's a late start because most people cook start cooking younger. So I always felt like I was behind. Mm. So and I mean, in some made, ways, I still do. Do you mind me asking what were you doing before? Like, what made you take this path? When did, how did you discover it so late? Because I was I was in school to be I was in college to be an English teacher. Okay. And when I was in college and doing my student teaching, I got a job at a restaurant and. Um, that was that. I found, I found that it was much more engaging to go to work than it was to go teach, mm-hmm. and so I, I, after a while, I decided that it was time to, to go work in more serious restaurants to get that to get, to get that education. Awesome. Um, and and not to say that student teaching wasn't a valuable experience for me because it certainly was because I feel like I I certainly view the kitchen as a classroom That's where there's a lot of. Um, a lot of learning, a lot of teaching, and a Absolutely. lot of uh, important moments. So you did your three years. What was the next step? Um, after that, 
I went in after three years working in Boston. I went and worked at the Spice Pear Restaurant okay. in Newport when it had just just opened, and that was a that was an incredible experience as well. But it was very different from what I had seen. Um, what I had seen in Boston. What I had seen in Boston was much more disciplined. It was much more. Um, it was much busier, mm. and it was a little bit more intense. So, but but that's what I wanted. So. Uh, after I, after I left Radius, I had always been searching for that same kind of uh, experience, and then I came to realize that the only way I would have that experience again is if I it myself. So it took years to get to that point. Awesome. So let's talk about the time where you. I mean, were there any jobs in between where you started getting those executive uh, chef roles? I'll be honest. I was turning down chef jobs okay. for a while because I felt like I felt like I wasn't ready, and I felt like if I took a chef job before I was ready. I was just going to be um, – I, was, I wasn't going to be able to lead a staff the way I felt I had been led. What, so I, what do you I think you were missing? Aside from the leadership um, aspect, what was missing? What were you waiting for to, to be ready? Um, uh, the, 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 the confidence. Mm. The, um, certainly the resume building is very important. And just the, the more broad range of skills – that I feel like is important. I think when you're the chef, you should be able to walk up to any station at any time and do the job better and in half the time than any of your cooks. And if you can't do that, you probably shouldn't be the chef. I think so, that's that's so wise, That just that mentality. Maybe one of the benefits of starting later in your life and realizing there, there's still so much to learn. I think sometimes people, they shoot themselves in the foot because we're ambitious people in this industry. We want to you know charge ahead full steam, but sometimes we need to, to take a breath and really prepare ourselves uh, and well, make sure no, we are ready. And, you know, this whole conversation is always going to go back to patience. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, it, it was a very – those are very difficult years because I wasn't making much money. And I was – at the end of those three years, I was putting gas in my credit card because I couldn't even afford to get to work anymore. But I always knew that that experience in those times were – it was money in the bank. And when I came to start designing – when I had to design my kitchen at Medicom, I drew on those experiences from 10 mm. years earlier, and I set up a kitchen very similar to what I had worked in. Awesome. That's, that's really great advice. So you were um, 27, 28, when, when you were working in your second location, uh, how old were you when you took on your first executive, executive role? I think I was 30, uh, I'd say about 34. Okay, so about 10 years of time, just ten learning. That's, I mean, ten, 10 years, and I, and I think... Um, in most in most cases, that's that's about I think about how much time you should spend. Yeah, and I've heard from other people that you know, if you don't get that degree, uh, if you don't go to culinary school to be called an executive chef, you need at least ten to fifteen years in the experience with that hand on, uh, just learning all those different stations. So. Uh, it's a really cool story and a really cool, cool path you took us on. I want to learn more about your purpose, your why. I mean, what drives you every day? What do you think we need in our core to be successful in this industry? I think you you simply have to care about the quality of your work. And I think for me, the bottom line is why I want to cook is because I like cooking mm-hmm. and I want to be good at my job. And it's that's sort of it's very simplistic but that's like the bottom line for me and being good at my job now it entails a lot more things because it entails running a business and as well as running a kitchen and managing a staff and so you know a funny example and everyone wants sort of um role models and people that you look towards who demonstrate characteristics that you admire 
and one of those people is actually my dishwasher. Oh, really? He is he is an absolute perfectionist. He shows up to work meticulous. His attitude is always the same. He's focused, and he works in complete silence. Wow. And he is his work is always perfect. And I have seen very few examples of that in my entire career. I love that you just acknowledge all those those different parts of the industry. And I think so many so many people in this industry just don't appreciate all those different roles that go into making a restaurant successful. And that dishwasher man, that is a key link in the chain. It sure. really is. And when people come in and they look at they look at the kitchen and you know, cleanliness is really important and going back to and I've never worked for Thomas Keller, but I think and I've listened to him and I've worked with people who've worked for him and his values I think are right on. And, you know, there's something about, you know, respecting your environment and keeping your environment clean and your work area clean. And one thing that's really important in my kitchen is the whole place has to be clean, but all the pans are absolutely spotless all the time. And when a cook reaches for a pan, it's perfectly clean inside and out. And that has an effect on you when you're heating it up, when you're putting food in it, when you're cooking that food, that really has, um, it has a lot of meaning. And I don't think a lot of, there aren't a lot of uh, places where that's a real priority. And that's a huge priority in my kitchen. And having a dishwasher like I have, that's a priority for him too. So what? So the dishwashing position, it's considered one of the lowest positions in the kitchen, but my dishwasher elevates it to such a level that everybody looks at him and just has this tremendous amount of respect for him. I love it. I really do. And what I'm hearing for your purpose, your why, is that pursuit of excellence. And when the person at the helm who's leading the charge has that pursuit of excellence, it's going to echo throughout your entire staff. And we're seeing it with your dishwasher, having that standard of excellence to just make every pot, every pan spotless. And it just is, it's just, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, Contagious. You know, it it, it echoes through everybody. And it it carries through. I mean, it carries through the servers, it carries through the bar manager, it certainly carries through me, and it carries through the cooks and everybody. And I think when people look at him, I think it makes them want to do their jobs better. Mm. And I, I probably should, you know, say this to my staff more, but I have a great staff, and they're very, they're very engaged, and they're very, um, and they care a lot about the quality of their work. So, you know, cream rises, and when, when people see. When people who come into the restaurant, they see everybody working on a high level. It just it, it kind of like makes me look good. Mm, I um, love it, man. But it's not just about me. So we've covered this it factor, um, one of your it factors, through your purpose, through your why, and it's that pursuit of excellence. What are some of the other habits, characteristics, or traits uh, that you have that you think contribute to your success? Um, I, I, I think a, 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 a good deal of focus. You know, I think I have a tendency to focus on on little things and um, sometimes to a fault where I can sort of lose sight of the big picture. But I can I can think about like eggplant and I'll think about it for three months and just keep working on one preparation with that one ingredient for for, for months on end just because I think there's so much more in it and there's so much more that you can get out of that ingredient. And I'm just using eggplant as an example. Mm-hmm. But I think... That's that is that's one thing that I feel like it's a it's it's a benefit is when you have that patience, you have that consistency, and you know that there's more in it than what you got the first five times. Maybe you have to do a twenty or thirty, and I think that's that's um, 
that's an important that's an important thing to teach younger cooks, especially in an age where you know patience is the it's kind of becoming a thing of the past because we live in an, in an we live in a society that's so instant. Mm. Everything is instant, and you don't really have to wait for a lot of things anymore. You want information, you got it. You take your phone out of your pocket, you get all the information you want. And when you're building, uh, when you're trying to develop a skill that takes years, it's important to be in, a, in, a, in, a, in an environment that is going to nurture that mm. and is going to um, wait for you until that skill is completely fully realized before you move on to the next one. Awesome. And that's what we focus on at, at, at Medicom. Great stuff, Chef. So, so far, some of the if factors we've uncovered is your patience, your pursuit of excellence, and your focus. What else, if there is anything else that you'd like to share with us, you think that, you know, that, that you'd like to share with us today that contributes to that success? Well, I mean, a lot of it is uh, noticing things as they happen, kind of like when a, a photographer sees something in motion and they know they're going to capture it. And that's, it's very much like that with cooking. And, you know, being in a kitchen for me, it's not a grind. It's like there's all these amazing chemical reactions going around you at all times. And it's like learning what those are and trying to understand what those are and how to control them and how to manipulate them is, uh, is just really fascinating. And, um, you know, there, I, one thing happened to me five years ago and, and it's just a good example of how it's really about noticing things. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I had a sous chef who smoked. And he went outside and had a cigarette and he came in and his clothes smelled like smoke. Mm-hmm. And in that instant, I immediately grabbed some cheesecloth and smoked it. And to this day, we use smoked cheesecloth in all different kinds of preparations because it carries flavors and you can transfer it in liquids and you can do all these really interesting things with it. And it was that moment that everything sort of made sense. But it was about being aware of what's going on as it mm-hmm. happened. And, I love it. And that was... Um, and that's just one of many examples. And it's, I'm it's, just gonna, I want to sum that up to attention to detail. And I think that's one thing that you know you're saying. Like, if you don't have that patience, if you're not paying attention to the little things, you're going through your day, the hustle and bustle of a kitchen. There's just so many little opportunities to find something to separate yourself, to create a unique selling proposition or um, a distinguishing factor. That and it's those little details when you send the things out of the kitchen that will make you stand out compared to other things. And that cheesecloth is a perfect example of something that just, it's the little details that people notice. It's yeah, so and, important. And, and, and some people, I don't think people really know about that, you know, using that as an example, mm-hmm. but it's just something that we can use that can maybe make our food a little bit more dynamic. Mm. And, uh, and um, it kind of, hopefully it'll make our place a little bit more unique. Awesome. I love it. So we've talked about your if factors. We've had a story of where one of these if factors was applied. Now, Chef, take us through a failure, a time you just fell hard on your ass, Chef. And tell us how you got back up from that failure. Well, um, there, was a, there was a time a few years ago. It, 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 it took a very long time for me to get to the point where I opened my own place. Mm-hmm. And when we were working on the Pizza Place project, me and my partner – were um, we were also trying to do a, a second restaurant, and what happened was to make a long story short, we had spent about a year. We found a location. We were developing um, a business plan. We had you know we had a letter of commitment from a bank. We had a letter of commitment from um, the SBA. Everything was in place, and the bank pulled out at the very last minute before we were about to sign and start start construction, and. 
a year's work crumbled in about 48 hours. So now at that same time, we were beginning, we were getting ready to open the pizza, the pizza place concept. And for me, the pizza place concept was, it was interesting, but the other restaurant, which later the, the concept became Medicom Kitchen, was just dead. And it was very hard. That was a very hard time for me because the pizza place took off and, mm-hmm. and it's, it's tremendously successful. And, but it really wasn't what I was after. It wasn't really what I, what I, was, what I felt like I was meant to do. Mm-hmm. So that was, um, so I went on and, and I worked there for the first year of business. And it just got to a point where I felt like I had to, I had to just, um, while I stayed invested, I had to leave and just pursue opening my own place because it was just not, um, it just wasn't home for me, you know? So for me, it sounds like a lot about just that higher need of just feeling like self-actualization and fulfilling your purpose. Uh, and I mean, there's a great book on this called Peak by Chip Connolly. I think you'd love that book, Chef. Uh, but I totally understand what you're saying because we, it's not enough to get paid. It's not enough to do the work you love and belong. You really need to feel like your higher needs are being met. And that's what I'm hearing you say. Right. Yeah. It was, um, for, for, I'd say about three years, I just felt like I really had no place to go. So I, I, I worked, I had jobs, I did the pizza place, I, I went and ran a friend's restaurant up in Quincy, but until I opened Medicom, I just felt a bit, a bit lost and off track for quite a while. So, Chef, let me ask, how did you fail in this story? Where did you go wrong? What move did you make that wasn't right? Um, I just looked at it as a failure because we had spent a year building an idea, and then it never happened. Mm-hmm. So, I guess... I felt that it was a shortcoming on my part that it just didn't happen. And what I could you like, have done differently? Uh, maybe I could have just been more aware of what the financing situation was in terms of you know what the banks wanted and what mm-hmm. they didn't want, and you know the uh, the the bank that we were dealing with that that didn't want to do it anymore. They just felt like there was too much. We had too many things going on, mm-hmm. and I understand it now, but. Uh, I, I do see that as a failure. I do see that as um, I wasn't, I didn't achieve what I was working towards for a year. So in my mind, that was a failure. But you know, it was also motivation that I knew that if I kept trying, I would succeed. Awesome. And I love it. I mean, and a huge part of it was, you know, I've been married for 18 years, and my wife has always been very supportive. Uh, regardless of if it was a crazy idea or not, she would always stand by me. So Great stuff. So we've got your failure. Uh, once this is turning out to be an awesome interview, I'm pumped. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, Chef, to thank our sponsor, and we'll be right back. We all know the challenges of running a restaurant. Is the staff productive? Are the menu prices set to the right profitability? Am I getting the best prices from my suppliers? Do the customers continue to have the experience you envisioned? You probably have a handful of service providers, software, and people all trying to pull together your systems for managing your restaurant. 
From the managers doing labor scheduling and taking inventory to your bookkeeper entering invoices and sales numbers from the POS, your employees, providers, and you are tasked with several costly endeavors, both in time and money. Have you ever stopped to consider just how much all these activities are costing you? Well, I would like to tell you about a service that automates all these tasks and does much, much more. QSRonline.com. QSR Online was started by people in the restaurant industry who saw how much wasted effort there was in their business and set out to build a better system, and they've been helping restaurateurs for over a decade minimize and control their costs. To learn more, head over to go.qsronline.com slash unstoppable. That is go.qsronline.com slash unstoppable. All right, we're back. And the first question I have for you, the first bomb of knowledge you're going to drop on us, Chef, is on the topic of getting that initial capital and, and getting those funds to start your first restaurant. I feel like this is a great question because we're, we're kind of just talking about this already. So I guess what I would say is what would you do differently or what did you do differently the second attempt at getting Medicom Kitchen going? Um, what I did differently was I set the sights a little bit lower in terms of um, you know, securing real estate, what it would cost to actually start the restaurant. It was a much more modest project. It required less money. So it wasn't, you know, the quote-unquote dream, you know, the dream kitchen, the dream restaurant. It was more, um, I guess it was more realistic in terms of what could be, what could be afforded. You know, it didn't, I didn't, uh, my family was, was helpful in helping me start this project. So we, we didn't need a bank. Awesome. And at that point, I have to say, I was determined to succeed without one because we had been turned down flat by one. So where, where did you learn along the way? And what, what, was the, that, what was it that made you change your approach to be more modest and to uh, have those lower expectations? It was more, um, it was more you know, if, if there's less money, then you can, you can buy less things. It's, it's kind of, it was, it was like that. I just didn't have... <laughs> There was less money to to start the to start the business. We you know we were able to do more with less, and uh, that was and that was how the approach had changed. Now I'm curious. Um, now that you you started with those lower expectations with, with a more modest start, I mean, did you have plans to scale up? Do you have plans for the future to expand that one location? Um, at the moment, there aren't. My right now, my 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 feeling. And it's always been I've always felt this way about about myself is that there's a lot more to improve on. Mm. So I feel like the restaurant we we've been open for a year, about a year and a half. And we have a lot of things that we can make better. Mm. And I feel like the restaurant hasn't come close to hitting its stride on what it can what it can do. So that's what my objective is now is to is to is to make it better. Awesome. I love it. So let's talk a little bit more about uh, the dependence we have on good people and uh, hiring good people, managing people, retaining people. And it sounds like you already have a huge appreciation of your people. That story you shared about how much you respect your dishwasher and the impact of, of just acknowledging th- those people in your restaurant. So talk to us a little bit more about how you lead, how you manage, and how you hire people. Well, I mean, a lot of hiring is you can usually tell very quickly when somebody walks in if they're the right fit or not. Mm -hmm. And a lot of it is some of it's what people say, some of it's what people don't say. And we always have, as far as the cooks go, we have the cooks always come in and work a day with us. 
and you can tell a lot in the first half hour of what you got and you can tell by you know are they are they focused are they listening to what you're saying are they finishing your sentences for you those kinds of those kinds of signs will tell you what kind of a person you have or you, or the kind of person you don't want to have and you know the cooks that I have in my in my kitchen like I expect them all to be to be focused I expect them not to talk excessively I expect them to pay attention to what's going on and one thing people one people one thing people really notice when they look into the kitchen at Medicom and it's a very open kitchen is how little talking goes on and cooking is action cooking is all action and gesture and there's really not a lot of necessary talking and i feel like in most kitchens 90% of the conversations that go on probably aren't even necessary mm-hmm. and i i like it quiet i like I like to concentrate when I'm working, regardless of what it is. I always want to be concentrating, and I want my cooks to be concentrating. And so it's that kind of discipline that those are the kinds of kitchens that I liked working in, and those are the that's the kind of place that I want to that I want to 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 be in. And that, those are the kinds of conditions that my cooks want as well. And the cooks that don't want it, they don't stay. So is there – what about room for growth in your restaurants? You have two locations now. Is, is it something that's common knowledge that – I mean, or is there opportunity for growth in your restaurant? People come to work for you. Do they know that there's a chance for something greater? Um, well, in terms of upward mobility, I mean, I don't have a sous chef. There isn't – I mean, th- there is certainly someday that will be a position. But right now I am I, – I don't, I don't skip services. I'm here every day. So that's something that I want – my cooks to grow into mm-hmm. and but they haven't you know, and again it comes back to the patients like they've been some of them have been with me since before we opened but there's still a lot of things that they need to learn mm-hmm. and if i were to step step aside and not be here for a service i'm not guiding them like i feel like they should be guided and part of it's my own hang-up that i i have a tendency to not let go sometimes so part of it is putting faith in my cooks, which I do, but I also feel like we also have a lot more training that has to happen mm-hmm. in order for that to, to... So one thing, Chef, I have to say I admire about you in my research on you is that you are known as a mentor, and it seems like you help so many people get to where they're trying to go in their careers. How much of that do you think has impacted your success? Um, you know, I, have, I, I guess... I don't really think of myself as 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 a mentor. I feel like I just I just try to do my best every day, mm-hmm. and if that becomes a mentorship, that's 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 great. But I mean, I you know as far as the as far as the success goes, it's really about just doing your job every day and doing your job at the best of your ability every day. And if that trickles down, and that's what your staff is, and everyone's buying into that. And they go on and they're successful, then that's a mentorship and that's 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 great. Mm-hmm. But my objective is to my objective is to be good at my job. And I think it all kind of works its way from there. I mean, what part of your job is um, I guess molding those people that work for you though? Um it's it's good work habits, it's it's being focused, it's it's being disciplined, it's being consistent. It's it's you know it's showing respect to each other. It's showing respect to your to your environment. Mm-hmm. You know, 
and I say that it's like I think the kitchen is a place where great things can happen and um, it's really you know the people around me who who believe that and who practice that are going to go on and be successful mm-hmm. but that's what that's kind of like what it is for me it's it's uh it's kind of hard to verbalize but it's it's something i don't usually talk a lot about these things cuz i think it's more important that they they're shown every day through through the quality of your work so um the word that's echoing in my head right now the word i just want to jump out and say is it sounds like you have incredible discipline um and you do all those things right and when you at the the front the leader are doing all the little things right you set that pace you are uh the shining example and when you can help create those habits with the people that are working for me just by you doing all those little things right every day um i mean you're you're painting the picture of perfection and you're showing them what what perfect looks like i mean as or your version of perfect you know what i'm saying um is that is that sound accurate well perfection is one of those things i mean i I aspire for it yeah um you know there's there's so I guess the word I could have used was excellence. Excellence is, is good. I mean, perfection <laughs> is very elusive. Yes. You know? I mean, I think it's perfection is one of those things that you aspire for. Mm-hmm. But as soon as you feel like you're doing it, then you might want to take a step back and kind of get real. Because mm-hmm. I don't feel like I, I, I don't I don't do anything perfectly, you know. Mm-hmm. And 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 I don't like I don't like it when cooks comment that something they did is perfect because. That's I think I think it requires a little bit of uh, a little bit of humility mm. and I if you if you approach cooking in a humble way then you're always striving to do better and if you think that you did something perfectly then why would you possibly think that you can you, you can't improve on perfection oh, so why keep trying said beautifully man I, I, ha- I had Bravo. a cook I love it I had a cook who was with me for a short period of time and we never got on the same page because he would kind of stop me and show. And tell me that he would be good at things. Oh. And that didn't make any sense to me. You know what I mean? So that's what I mean. It's like we don't need to talk about it. I'm much more impressed with the quality of your work. It's a concrete thing. Talking about it is like that's what lawyers do. Lawyers talk. <laughs> we cook. And Speak we, and we make things. Yes. I love it, man. So let's talk about some of the challenges in the industry, something maybe you're currently challenging or it's challenging now or a challenge you see coming down the barrel that you're preparing for. Well, I mean, I mean, with the business, I mean, the restaurant business, it's, it's to, to, to be profitable in the restaurant can be a challenge because there are so many things that you need to be aware of, um, you know, in terms of like on the business end with you know, managing your payroll and managing your expenses or managing your inventories or managing your, your labor and your staff. So those, you know, there's always room for, for, for improvement and trying to make, make the restaurant more efficient. Mm-hmm. And so for me, that's the biggest challenge is how do you make, how do you make things more efficient mm. and on the business end of it? And I'm very interested in efficiency and, um, and quickness. That's why we don't do a lot of talking in the kitchen. Because why would you, if you can express something in five words, why would you use 20? That's not efficient. That's a waste. So I feel the exact same way with if you can, if you can achieve something in four movements instead of 10, you should do that too. So that's the challenge on, uh, with the whole restaurant is making, is trying to trim everything down 
to make it as efficient as you possibly can. And up in, when, we, when we were designing the restaurant, I had all the ideas in place in terms of how am I going to put the kitchen together, how we're going to share the work, how we're going to do it with not a lot of – without doing it, how do we achieve things with not too many staff because you have to watch your labor. So when I put the restaurant together and the kitchen together, I wanted it to be efficient and smooth and uh, the services go to go as smoothly as possible, especially when you open a place because when you open a place – it's like, it's crazy. You have all brand new people. Nobody knows what's going on. You have a new menu. You have, most of the people didn't work together before. So the first few months opening a restaurant is always kind of chaotic. Mm-hmm. So when we were building the restaurant, my thought was, how do I try to minimize, how do I minimize this craziness? And so, you know, we're going to be talking about, te- about technology in a little bit. And awesome. that's where that's going to segue into, nice. into technology and how my interest in technology in terms of cooking Ooh. has helped me put a, put a restaurant together that was successful pretty much out of the gate. Interesting. I can't wait for that. And I couldn't help but write down three titles of books that just came to my mind where you're talking about your interest to learn more about efficiencies. And um, if you, you may have already heard of these books, Chef, but one is called The E-Myth. The other one's called eat that frog and it's basically eat that frog don't let the title fool you it's about uh different things you can do in life whether it's ways to keep different lists or to do things in your life to be more efficient it's a great uh great book and the other one that came to mind is called the four hour work week um by tim Ferriss. i can't remember the names of the two other authors i think it's michael gerber wrote the e-myth eat that frog another guy but i'll have the links in the show notes have you heard of those books i i have i've heard of one of them but not all of them yeah they're great awesome books so uh, let's talk a little bit now about work-life balance. I think this is a great segue because, like you're saying, it's crazy. You have all these things to do. You're you are running two restaurants at one point, and you have a wife. Um, and I, I, I know she probably misses you. I know that you probably have to spend time with her to keep things going well. So how do you balance it all, Chef? Well, the funny thing is, like, as far as the pizza place goes, I'm, I'm just sort of an investor on paper at this point. Like, I don't really do much with the day-to-day operations at the Providence Cold Fried Pizza. And with Medicom, it's the first time that my wife and I have really worked together. She, she does a lot of the – she does all of the administrative part, you know, paying invoices, mm-hmm. entering invoices, dealing with some – dealing with vendors. So in a way, this has been the most time that I've been able to spend with my wife, ironically. And you're still together? <laughs> <laughs> and so, but we, we both very similar. We both have, uh, we both have a strong work ethic. We both, awesome. if we, if something has to get done, we'll get it done regardless of anything else. So, but even, even when you're wor- working with your significant other, isn't there time you need to just get away from the restaurant to, to be sane? Have you had that time yet? I know you're still uh, just a year old, right? So it's still in that early phase where you probably have to be there a lot of the time. But, I mean, how do you make time your personal time? Well, there's there's very little of it. We're, we're going to take a vacation next month. so Congratulations. That's and, and, you know, we're actually we're going to close the restaurant. So it's kind of like putting the baby to bed for a little bit, you yeah. know. So it's going to be, it's going to be nice just uh, taking a little breather. And every once in a while we'll take a couple of days off. But, but right now it's just, it's just it's kind of like our, our other child that constantly needs you. Where are you going? We're going to Costa Rica. Ooh, baby, that sounds like a good time. 
Awesome. So I guess what I'm hearing from you is take that time. Make sure you make time for yourself, whether it be shutting the restaurant down for a week or two, but get that time to reset and to focus on yourself. Yeah, it's it's important because I find it can it it can it can burn you out a little bit, mm-hmm. and I find that even if I can get away for like a day, even when I'm only away for a day or so, I find that I kind of miss it in a mm-hmm. strange way, and then um, I I come back and I can feel pretty uh, pretty reset and and ready to go. And I can't remember where I heard it, but there's a lot of ha- that happens when you take time just to unplug and clear your head and relax. That's when some of your best ideas will hit you. Um, so who knows, man? You could come back uh, from this vacation all like filled with piss and vinegar, ready to roll with all these great ideas. I'll be I'll be visiting you after you get back. <laughs> I well, sometimes the that. best ideas happen in, in strange places. You yeah. know, often, often when I'm driving, when I'm driving is when I'll get. Most most ideas come when I'm in the car. Awesome stuff. So um, I already dropped some books, but now I want to hear what books you have to recommend. Are there, are there any books that are just must-reads, whether they're business books, uh, cookbooks, or personal growth books that you think would just be a great uh, read or listen for our listeners? Well, yeah, I have two, and and you know I'm sure anyone listening to this conversation, obviously, I'm I'm quite focused on the kitchen, and uh, and so for me. Two books that come to mind is the first book that I really read that kind of changed everything for me was on food and cooking by Harold McGee, and it's he's he's a food scientist. It's ironic the best cookbook I've ever read is not by a chef, but it really showed me that every time I open it, I learn something new. And it it came out in 1984. It was revised in 2004. There's another edition coming out soon, and it's just. It, the book just humbles you for how little you know about about this work. If there was one lesson you could extract from that book that just has stuck with you the most, what would it be? Um, it was probably the chapter on eggs in that book. And eggs are probably the most complex ingredient that I can think of, and one of the most um, one of the most challenging to understand. So it was probably the chapter on eggs and on food and cooking that is... What's one egg lesson you want to share with us? Uh, <laughs> huh. That's... Well, I, I've actually done classes on eggs. Oh, really? And, yeah. And um, I, have to, I, have to, I have to think about that. I was... All right. I'm not, I'm not sure about the about We'll the put egg. it on ice. We'll come back to it before you leave. <laughs> all right. So, um, all right. We're, we're at your shiny moment. Uh, we're going to talk about technology. You said you had some great advice for us and some tools you're leveraging. So what are you leveraging in the kitchen to be more productive, to be more efficient? Well, I mean, you know, the, the, there, there was a second book that I wanted to mention. Oh, that's right. And that book <laughs> Sorry. Two years ago. I'm trying to It's actually six books. Oh, really? It, it's called Modernist Cuisine. And it's probably 2,400 pages long. And... Um, when I left, when I left Tucker's Bistro, and I was getting ready to open that restaurant, that that didn't happen, um, and subsequently we opened the pizza place. I had spent about three months reading those books, and that was probably the most worthwhile thing I've ever done. In that, um, Monarch's Cuisine really talks about a different approach to cooking, about utilizing um, different ideas, different ingredients, um, different in- equipment. Um, and really understanding the nature of the ingredients that you're trying to cook. And so the months that I spent reading those books 
helped me go on to open businesses because it, it gave me a better understanding about, you know, how proteins denature and how emotions work and all those things that I find very, uh, very engaging and very compelling. And how can I take those things that I find really interesting and create food that people will pay for? Mm. And that's what reading those books. And it also introduced me to equipment that I hadn't used before. And a lot of the equipment that they talk about in those books, I researched, learned how to use, and put in restaurants that I use on a regular basis, which help with our efficiency, our consistency, and um, and it, it makes it makes us it makes our operation run at a much higher level than how I was cooking ten years ago. Awesome. So just to summarize, those two books were um, on food and cooking by Harold McGee. In the modernist cuisine, uh, just head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash 202. You'll find the links right there, uh, as well as those other three books I mentioned, The E-Myth, Eat That Frog, and The Four-Hour Workweek. Uh, all right, now is the time. Uh, you got me all excited about this technology recommendations. Um, what are these tools that you're leveraging to be more efficient and productive? Well, well, one of the things that we use at the restaurant, I mean, when you, we use... Uh, we use water baths. We use uh, controlled vapor ovens. Um, I have a system in place where we can um, we can use a vacuum pump to reduce liquids, so we can bring the boiling point of water far below 212 degrees. We can boil water at about 100 degrees. Oh wow! So uh, we use pressure cookers, which aren't modern, but they pressure cookers are pretty incredible tools that we use uh, we use every day. Um, so. What those, what, what those different kinds of things do is they give us control and they let us, they let us control the conditions in which we're cooking. Like we never, we don't really cook meat in like a 500 degree oven. A lot of restaurants, that's how they kind of do it. They, they'll take a raw piece of meat and they'll put it on a grill and they'll cook it or they'll put it in a very hot oven. And as I, as I understand cooking more and I learn more about it, and I'm still learning every day, I find that cooking like that is there's certainly a place for it and people do a lot of great food cooking like that mm-hmm. that's just not how we cook at Medicom in fact we don't use any open burn we don't have any open flames we don't use burners we don't use any of that stuff and we and we try to make it work so our services are quick efficient and uh, we're turning out consistent food chef can you, can you put any numbers to this can you give me an example of what things were like the cost of something before or the time something was taken before and what it takes you now that you're leveraging these new technologies well um i would say the average ticket time in a restaurant let's say you will go into a restaurant and you order uh, a steak or you order like i don't know a chicken breast or something it's usually the average ticket time i'd say is 17 to 20 minutes mm-hmm. to cook something like that and I'd say our average ticket times are probably closer to 8 to 10. And is this because you're bringing up that internal temperature, so now you can just put, like, really just putting a, a sear on the outside? Or like, Well, we're, 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 doing, we're doing some of that, but um, that's, that's certainly a big part of it. But it's also, it's also about, uh, let's say we're, we're cooking, you know, if, if, if we cook fish, we'll actually cook it at a much lower temperature, and, but we can turn it out j- almost just as quickly as if you were putting it in a super hot oven. But what we're doing is we're controlling how quickly the proteins denature. Mm. So we're sending out, we're retaining more moisture in food. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's a huge advantage. 
Awesome. Um, and just so the folks at home listening in can act on the advice you're giving us, are there any specific tools, brands, uh, models that you're using that you would just put your name on? Um, I would say we use uh, we use a product by Winston Industries mm-hmm. out of uh, I believe they're out of Louisville, Kentucky. Okay. Called controlled vapor ovens or CVAPs. Okay. And CVAPs are pretty much the workhorse of our restaurant. Right. We have two of them, and we do, you know, our kitchen is essentially a French kitchen, and we don't need stocks are the basis of French of, of French cuisine, mm-hmm. and we don't even own stock pots. We don't need stock pots anymore. Between wow. pressure cookers and CVAPs, we can do all of our stocks either overnight or we do them in an hour and a half in a pressure cooker. And, I mean, so, that alone is a huge time save. That that prep that you do early in your day, I must, I must imagine that must have a huge impact. Well, it does because all the prep's done overnight. Mm. We can actually put things in the oven overnight, and when we come in the next morning, they're they're perfectly cooked. Like, we do – right now, it's the wintertime, and we're doing, like, short ribs and veal breast and um, stocks and duck confit and mm. – it's all programmed at the end of the night. We put them in, and the next morning, everything is exactly the way we want it. Interesting. So what that does is it frees up the space during the day, and that's that's part of the efficiency. But the most important part is is that we're retaining the moisture, and where we're approaching each protein differently. And through experience and trial and error, we figured out what temperature, what humidity level is is what we feel is perfect or, or well suited, I should say, for that particular protein, and that's what we that's what we use to cook that. So, um, and it come, all comes back to retaining moisture, keeping things consistent, and it leads to us just being uh, a more efficient, efficiently run kitchen. Awesome. So I know you're a man. Your world is in the the kitchen. That's your realm. That's your 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 place. But what about the front of house? What if I was talking to your wife right now? What tools and technologies would she be telling me they're leveraging in the front of the house or in the office? Well, I mean, I'll, I'll be honest. Like, I don't spend a whole lot of time in front of mm-hmm. a computer, and my wife does a lot of that. I mean, aside from we don't do a ton of advertising. Mm-hmm. We don't. I mean. You know, we're on Yelp and we're people go on TripAdvisor and that that, that stuff kind of comes to us. Mm-hmm. As far as marketing and like using utilizing tools like that, and Sam is brilliant with this stuff. We don't really do a whole lot of that. And just and, to specify, Sam is Sam Glenn, who is how I connected with Chef Alaire. If you guys remember that episode, just a few episodes ago, happy we did connect. Uh, continue. Yep, and so um, our approach is is different from Sam's in that Sam is really into marketing. Mm-hmm. That's what he went to school for. Uh, analytics. He just, he, he, he knows. Yeah. He's a sharp dude. Stuff yeah. It's, is, is incredible. And I don't have that same knowledge and I don't, um, and I don't pretend to, but it kind of comes back to Medicom is successful, but it's kind of successful for, a, for, for, because the restaurant just kind of operates I focus on operating at the highest level that I can, mm-hmm. and the gamble that I took is that people will respond to it and come, and that's kind of like what's happening. Uh, Four walls marketing, man. Can't beat it. That's pretty much what it is. Yeah. Uh, you know, We're banking that if two people come in and we execute the way we need to execute, and they leave and they bring two more friends the next week, that's our marketing. 
I had a great conversation with Jeffrey Summers on the show, and he said the best social platform is your dining room floor. Yes. Uh, and there's no beating it. So I, I 100% agree with you. So we are approaching the end of the interview. You've been awesome. Um, with all the knowledge you've gained in the time you've entered this industry since you were 24 years old, I mean, if you could like go back in time, Chef, and give yourself one piece of business advice, what would it be? Um, I would say when I was younger, it's, it's, it's to be pragmatic mm. and it's to understand what your guests, who your guests are and what they want. Mm-hmm. And there's a balance there between cooking for yourself and the chef that I work for in Boston said the first person you cook for is yourself. And I, and I agree with that, but you also have to realize who your guests are and what they want. And when I first start, when I first started, took my first chef job, I was just thinking about myself. I wasn't thinking enough about the guests. And and as I got older and I and I learned that, you know, people might not be coming because they don't like the changes that you make mm-hmm. because you're thinking about them. All you're doing is thinking about you and maybe it's your ego that's driving you, maybe you're trying to show off too much. But as I got older, I'm more comfortable doing food that I feel like people will respond to and less concerned with trying to be showy and trying to impress other cooks or other chefs. So chef, let me ask you, what do your customers want? What do your guests want? I find that, you know, a new restaurant is always developing and always evolving. And what our, what our, our guests, I guess they all want different things. Like Medicom is a different kind of place. Mm -hmm. People can sit at the bar and they can have a burger and a beer they can sit in the dining room and they can have, um, you know, a, a, a rabbit pasta or venison, or they can sit at the food bar and they can have a 12 course tasting menu. Mm-hmm. So that's what I wanted Medicom to be. I want it to be like a neighborhood place, unpretentious and comfortable, but it can evolve and we can do a lot of different things at the same time. Awesome. I love it. So if there was one question, chef, that you think I could have asked you that would have brought more value to this interview, what would it be? Um, I think a good question would be to ask, what have you seen in your career that you wouldn't want to repeat? For example, for example, I worked at a place and it was a really, it was a high end restaurant, very expensive and, you know, stove was expensive. All the pans were copper and there was so much waste and there was such, nobody seemed to care about, um, cross utilization or being, uh, you know, trying to utilize products or cross utilize products. There was so much waste and nobody seemed to be concerned with food costs. And that, that experience, when I was there, I thought I will never run a restaurant like this. You know, not even food costs, but respect for food. I think we have gotten so detached from where food comes from, whether like a, a plant or an animal, I mean, that was a life, that was a growing thing that gave its life to be sustenance. And that's a whole other reason on top of just efficiency and uh, cost that yeah. you need to consider. I mean, food, food, food going bad is terrible mm-hmm. and it's terrible for a number of reasons. And, and that was an experience that I'm glad that I saw it, even though it really bothered me at the time. Mm-hmm. But it was something that made me more aware of trying to be resourceful and resourcefulness is extremely important in terms of what you produce in a restaurant. Sometimes great ideas come out of 
the fact that you have to be resourceful mm-hmm. and you don't have you don't maybe you don't have the money maybe you don't have the experience to make things but if you can kind of make do with what you have sometimes great ideas can come off of that mm. and that was I, I would say that was probably learning from other people's mistakes and trying to turn them into uh, into something more later in your career is, is is pretty important to me. Awesome. Chef, those are all the questions I have for you. You have been incredible. I wrap up every episode by having my guests call somebody out. That's how I met you. Sam Glenn calls you out from Chomp. Awesome, dude. Now I want you to do the same thing. Who is one indie restaurant professional front of house or back of house or both you can give me a list of people if you want i won't stop you that you admire and would just think would be a great guest on the show all right well i actually have two yeah i uh, I couldn't narrow it down to one so i have two hit me and and the first one is my business partner david bertolini and dave i have known we started work we worked together for the first time 16 years ago 17 years ago and our paths went in different directions he was a he's a corporate chef I went more the fine dining route, and he's the one that I opened the Providence Cold Fried Pizza with. Mm-hmm. And Dave exemplifies discipline and focus, and you know he, they're getting ready to open their third uh, location, and it's because of him mm-hmm. and his his knowledge of systems and operations, and he looks at everything from up above, mm-hmm. and he sees it in a very from like a systems perspective. And we only worked together for one year on the pizza place and I learned a tremendous amount and that experience the year that we worked together was pretty was pretty incredible that was David Peninelli uh, Bertolini oh Bertolini where the heck did I yeah. get Peninelli from sorry <laughs> who's the second person you have and for me? second person is a, a chef that came into town six or seven years ago who I've I, I've always admired and his name is Jake Rojas and he owns a place called Tallulah's on Thames Tallulah on Thames, and he he opened a uh, a taqueria in Providence, and Jake's worked for some of the arguably the best chefs in the world, and he's and I've always just kind of been in awe of his his talent and his discipline and his focus and his he's he's developed into this really smart business person, and uh, and I always kind of look at him. As a as a as inspiration, I think I've met Jake at the Chefs Collaborative Summit in Boulder, Colorado, about a year. Yeah, you ago. probably yeah you probably yeah, have. He a lot of people had amazing things. I think he won the um, a, an award out there actually, uh, like an aspiring or like up and coming. I can't remember exactly, but maybe not. Anyway, uh, David and Jake, look out, guys! I'm coming after you. I'd love to have you as guest mentors on the show. Uh, let the folks at home know, Chef, how we can connect if they're listening to your words, if they're in the Rhode Island or um, on the East Coast someplace nearby, and they want to come work for you and to, to work, like, learn under you, how can we connect? Well, um, our website is metacomkitchen.com, and that's, that's probably the best way to contact me or the restaurant directly. Awesome. I will have all those links in the show notes from how to connect to uh, the links to the tools I chef recommended to the books we discussed all at restaurantunstoppable.com slash 202. Chef, you are awesome. There is no questioning that you are unstoppable. Thank you so much. It was great having me. Thank you. Cheers. 
There we go, another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. Chef Richard Allaire, thank you so much again for joining us as a guest mentor here on the show. Uh, some incredible advice. I really just think that we can all agree that the uh, mantra for today was just patience. Don't rush into this career. Take the time to really learn your trade and to learn different aspects of the industry and to really find out what, what you want to do. Uh, get that experience and that experience will pay off in the long run. Uh, you don't get many shots in the, the restaurant industry. It's expensive to open a restaurant. Uh, so make sure you're doing it right. And that's what chef did for us. He showed us what happens when you take your time and do it right. So an incredible show filled with tons of advice. You can find links to the books he recommended, to the tools he suggested. Just head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash 202 and you will find the links all right there. And head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash tools and restaurantunstoppable.com slash books to find a complete list of all the recommended tools and books our past guest mentors have shared with us. The tools they're using in their restaurants to be more efficient, to be more productive, and the books they've read to gather the knowledge they need to be where they are today. All right there at restaurantunstoppable.com. Do check it out. And please support the show. Uh, there's so many different ways to support the show. You can simply just share this with anybody who's looking to get into the restaurant industry, who's looking for that advice, who needs a mentor. I have a whole ocean full of mentors and guests who have shared the way, shined a light on the path to success. Other ways you can support the show is simply by leaving a five-star review on iTunes and Stitcher Radio. Those go a long way with uh, just giving the show social proof and helping with my ranking. I'm listed as number two on iTunes. Let's get to that number one spot, guys. That's my goal. Help me out. Uh, and that, that those reviews, they will do that. So please leave a review if you've found the show helpful. Lastly, I am accepting donations. You can head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash support, and you will find uh, links to make small donations. Uh, every little bit helps. And I can't express enough uh, for those of you who have supported the show and have left your donations. Thank you so much. You have no idea how much that helps. Just cover the cost. Alright guys, that's all I have. Uh, don't forget to connect with me, Eric, at restaurantunstoppable.com. That's my email. Please use it. Don't be shy. <laughs> Alright. Until next time, peace out. Out.